welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we are once again joined by Joy and Manuel, who are talking today about what they look for in investment properties and actually how that's changed over time as well. So in the last episode, we talked about their story and how they've gone from zero to four or five properties in a very short space of time. And so today we're going to look at and talk about what they actually look for. Manuel, why don't you start us off? So when we started looking, there were a few thoughts we had to help us choose a place. And the first one was, would we actually live in it ourselves? And so what do you live in? Just so people can get that that point of comparison, because I know what people live in is is kind of different. So for for you, what what does that look like? Yeah, so our place is actually reasonably small with about an 80 square metre house. We've been doing it up progressively. Do still actually need to do the bathroom and the kitchen. So the two main things still need doing. So when we look at an investment property, the question is, would we live in it? Not as a long-term thing, could we stay in here for 10 years, but does it feel nice and dry? Is it warm? Does it get nice sunlight? Does it have a good feel to it? Because the cosmetic things aside, we can paint something, we can recarpet it, but you want the main areas to be functional and the property to actually work well and, and have a good vibe to it. And so with that, one question I've got though, is having a family home, does that mean that you look for family homes or do you just mean, you know, if we were single, we could live here as well if you're, if you're working towards... Uh, a one-bedroom unit or a two-bedroom unit? We have a look at what would be desirable for the masses. So we're not going to a niche market. So we're not looking for a five-bedroom home because someone's got four children and an, uh, an auntie staying with them. We don't look at high-end stuff. We look at the, the top end of the bell curve. So the fat end of the bell curve, where most people are. That's really interesting. And so you're looking for things that you'd actually live in because they're good homes. What's the next thing you're looking for? Um, so for us, it was the construction, what it was made of. So something that was low in maintenance, so brick exterior, tile or dechromastic roofing, concrete foundation where possible, aluminium joinery, things like that. Things that required minimal maintenance. So once we started looking, we realised that ruled out almost everything pre-70s. So character homes, cottages, anything weather-poured construction. So what we found was the, the 80s was where we ended up looking. So 80s built homes meant we then learnt about Duck's Quest plumbing, the, the, the black piping that 18 months later started burning. Oh, really? Talk to us about that. What happened there? Oh, so I spoke to my dad about it because it was around when he was getting houses built and that sort of thing. This was meant to be the the latest and greatest, the best invention. It was brilliant piping. And within 18 months, it all started bursting and breaking. So now even insurers won't insure your property if it's got the Duck's Quest piping in it. And there's so many things like that in building, you know, asbestos, which once upon a time was, was a fantastic product and then it killed some people. And then older houses with old wire these kind of considerations that when you are buying an existing dwelling you really have to take into consideration I know I've got a couple of properties with butanol that just seems to always get water through it and you're constantly having to redo it yep and also in that era we learned about leaky homes understood more about that and looking back now how, how dumb were, were we to use MDF in window frames <laughs> at, at the time you know so yeah that's, that's what we looked at construction and does this come as well I know you've got a background as, as a mechanic does it looking at the building material somewhat play into that background of at least being very technically minded? Oh, it's just a matter of understanding what we did back in the day doesn't work now or history shows that that's not a 
very good product to be using. But it was more along the maintenance side, you know, to keep the maintenance as low as possible. And then number three, what was that? What's the next thing you tend to look for? Yeah, so the third thing was the numbers. Did the numbers work? Could we afford it? So we've since learnt from day one that having interest only is a preferred method of uh, investment properties and uh, pay off your home mortgage instead. And that would make the affordability way easier. So at that stage, we still hadn't learnt about deferred maintenance. So remember, we started Googling this and trying to teach ourselves. We just thought that having a bit of uncommitted monthly income sitting there would get us through if something happened. And initially, we didn't even start with a property manager. So now working with Opus, we've now also put in additional factors when we work our numbers. So that's like the property manager, the deferred maintenance. So once upon a time, it was just literally rates, insurance. And so one of the interesting things that when often I'll work with new investors or, or investors that maybe have uh, are starting out, they can be very focused on the gross yield. So the, the just the annual rent divided by the purchase price and not so much look at the bottom line, which is very much what we focus on or the net yield. What were you guys doing when you ran the numbers? Were you factoring all, all the costs that you do today when you started out? Yeah, so so not quite. We did rates, we did insurance, we did the mortgage repayments, and then compare that to the rent. So but basically, those seem to be the general things. And then uh, long-term listeners in the show, uh, or anyone that's worked with us will know that there's things like vacancy and maintenance, mm. the accounting, any bank fees, all those other things which come up um, or may not come up today that, you'd, that if you want a robust budget that you factor in now because then then you don't have surprises later because so uh, many people and actually even you know we've spoken about Graham Fowler's strategy in his book and and whilst he's a, a absolute excellent property investor he excludes a lot of these things with his numbers and I know that if you don't factor these in when they crop up you think, holy hell, this is a bit hard. And you suddenly have to sell a couple of properties because you're getting a bit stressed with the maintenance bills. And so if you budget for those, you don't have those surprises later on. I also want to know, what data do you look at and what data do you exclude? What do you, what do you say? I'm not going to look too much into that. Okay, so we look at the, the general area, what the past growth has been, what industries are in the area so it's not just reliant on one or two because if, if they go then yeah that's not good what kind of roading and infrastructure has been planned so you know having properties in Levin now we know with Transmission Gully that's going to just go up in value with that so that all helps paint a bit of a picture on, on growth and yield on potential purchases that we are looking at. And what about what, what don't you look at? So what we've done is we've really tried to listen to, to you Ed and the plethora of information that you've stripped out placed into your spreadsheets <laughs> That's very kind of you <laughs> But quite often we find we need to ignore the naysayers you know, that's a really interesting point. I was actually thinking that in the last podcast, you guys are doing this, and it's it must be really hard because you're often friends with people who are in the same financial position to you, and you guys have put yourself out on a limb and, and made sacrifices to be able to get to where you are today. And people that don't do that are often very quick to criticise. How do you deal with that? Just uh, ask them, I guess, quite candid questions. Uh, how many properties do you invest in? Where did you get your data? to say that you know the market's going to drop or wait for the mortgagee sales or you should do this or yeah. you should do that. So just ask some questions awesome. on how they get that information. Awesome. And you guys are very positive people. I'm sure rather than discourage others, you're more likely to encourage others to get into the property market. I know Joy recently was helping someone else buy their first house and, and getting really involved, being a good friend and actually supporting them rather than being a naysayer. Yeah, and the amount of people we have said listen to the podcast, there's so much useful information in there. 
Mm. The other places we ignore is the media. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So talk to us about that. What are you ignoring and why are you ignoring it? I was in that in property investors chat group and someone posted up over the last, I think it was eight or nine months, what the media had said, that the market was going to drop. So I think one even said it was going to drop by 25%, you know. So I try and ignore, they say, with regards to predicting what the market's going to do in the future. And so because you're very involved in doing research in your properties, and before we worked together, I guess you quite limited to where you can invest because you are quite hands-on as investors you whether or not you're doing the maintenance yourself I mean hands-on in terms of getting involved and doing the research it's harder to have that inside information to a location where you don't live would that be fair to say yeah absolutely and, and I guess what was really frustrating because you know I think we're quite intelligent people given our technical backgrounds there were lots of terms that I didn't understand there were a lot of strategies that I was hearing on the podcasts or reading in books and I, I hadn't quite got my head around so that was this has been a really awesome challenge and we've grown so much by going down this path and learning how to invest in the future and that's a, th- a thing that I know about Manuel and Joy like b- both of them uh, will ask until they understand I get a phone call from Manuel and he'll go now hey, have you got five minutes I don't understand the Sorry, rule man. of 72 can, can you tell me about how that works again which I'm always happy to do yeah, and bless our mortgage broker, the amount of times I called him saying, hey, can you double check? I don't get it. I just don't get it. So the patience of him as well as Andrew has been phenomenal. So what I want to know now is over that time where you've grown and learned a lot, I assume that you've changed over time and that the first property you would have done some things that you wouldn't necessarily do now. So how have you changed the way you look at property now that you've done it? So now we are a lot more hands-off. So we got the first properties. We did what probably most people do. We're going to manage it ourselves. We're going to find the tenants. We're going to do everything ourselves. And that worked for a, a wee while. And it was great because Manuel is very good at fixing things. He's built our trailer. He's built a log splitter. He works on the cars. So anything practical, he will do. Amazingly, like it's frustrating sometimes. There's probably not much that he can't do, to be fair. Behave. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Same as me. He's obviously very practical people. <laughs> Initially, we were happy that he would be the one that would fix things that came up. Over time, we have now moved over to property managers, which wasn't a, an easy decision at first because, of course, then you're thinking, oh, we're spending, spending money away on something that, you know, when, when everything's going good, it's, it feels like you are spending money for something that's of little value. But the, the biggest thing for me with using property managers is the mental bandwidth that it gives you to focus on your family and making making more investment decisions and just life because you leave it to the professionals and then you don't worry about it so much easier right yeah exactly and so now as as you said the mental bandwidth we don't have to worry about it now someone else is actually going to do that so if a tenant doesn't pay or anything like that something needs fixing they sort it out so that's kind of moved us away from being landlords to being investors investors. yeah which is awesome now I've got a question for you what do you reckon the best decision you've made in property investment is and what do you reckon the worst decision is for me, the best decision is going with you, Andrew. Oh, that wasn't set up, but that, <laughs> thank you very much. We'll give them another mug. Sorry. Yeah, well, no, okay. That, and actually getting property managers to do it. So that's probably my two cents, Manuel. I think every decision we have made has been a, a like a foundation, a, a building block. 
So I don't have a worse decision, mm. but each step of the way we've improved in, in what we do. Awesome. Not doing it sooner. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved to have done this a, a lot earlier. And Manuel, one last thing. What, what, what has changed for you about how you think about property? Yeah, yeah. So for me, the biggest learning was the thought processes, you know, researching and understanding what, what happened. So an example is I now understand that if we need to put into an investment property by, say, $50 a week, we're not actually really topping it up because if a $500,000 investment property is returning 5% of dollars a week, so that's $2,600 a year. If it's returning 5%, then we're actually making $22,400. So we're no longer looking at it as a top-up. We're making money. That's a a really interesting way of putting it because I I met with someone in Wellington yesterday who's an old friend of mine and and he's thinking about turning his house into a rental property, which is often not the right thing to do, but in his case, actually, it would make a great rental property. And he said, lots of his friends have been saying, but you you shouldn't have to top up an investment. And hang on, you're not putting any money in because he's stripping all the equity out to buy a new house. And tell me an investment product where you don't have to put money into like go to your stockbroker and say you want an investment but you don't have to put any money into it absolutely nuts right well let's wrap it up there but please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the show it really does help us get the message out to more people and hey if you want to learn more about property with Andrew and I why not check out our no money worries email course this is where we have collated our top nine lessons about property investment and have even set you a little bit of homework so you can actually just think about how you've invested in the past like Joy and Manuel and think about well how might that change in the future based on what you're learning I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes or you can also go to opuspartners.co.nz slash no money worries thanks for listening to the property academy podcast i'm your host ed mcknight and i'm andrew nickel and we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the new zealand property market until next time 